Welcome to the Whiskey Congress. Honest, open talk dedicated to speaking the truth to those who are open to hearing it. Black, white, right, left. Most importantly, honest, bold, and fueled by good whiskey. In Whiskey Veritas, we are Whiskey Congress. Join the evolution. Whiskey Congress is back in session. Steve is unavailable today. He's doing family stuff and, and is out of town. So we have our number one go-to uh, fill-in host, uh, Ben, a.k.a. Whiskey Ben, recently relocated to Kentucky, uh, joining us. And Ben, first of all, it's been a long time since we talked uh, one-on-one, so yep. it's, it's, it's good, to, good to talk to you. Um, how are things in Kentucky right now? You said there's a storm rolling in, so how's, how's that dealing with you? How are you, how yeah, are you dealing with that? Sorry. It's cold. Um, it's been great for me. I love cold weather. So finally getting to experience a real winter versus being in South Carolina for the last several years. Um, but yeah, we've got started sleeting a little bit ago. I think they're calling about three to five inches. And we had we had about eight to 10 inches of snow just last week here in Lexington. So uh, a little a little bit of a change from the from the South Carolina lifestyle. Yeah. I remember what three to five inches of snow did to Raleigh, North Carolina, which was yeah. paralyzed the city for a week. I don't know if Lexington's that bad, but as hilly as it is, that's got to be a challenge out there. It, it's a little bit of a challenge, I think, when it first hits, but they're way more prepared to handle it than they are, say, in South Carolina, where if we got we got 8 to 10 inches, we'd be shut down for a week uh, versus, you know, the next day we were pretty much up and going. So. Okay, well, I'm, I'm impressed with Kentucky. Like I said, I, I've had experiences in, in North and South Carolina with snow, and they were definitely not prepared. And you understand right. why, right? You don't you don't deal with it very often, but uh, yep. that there's like I said, there's a ton of stories there, but the uh, the audience might not necessarily want to hear my spring break stories. <laughs> and my, so, so one thing you know that is not getting as much talk as it probably should. There is a standoff at the Russian-Ukrainian border that could involve um, Vladimir Putin imposing his will against the Western, you know, against NATO and basically daring us to challenge him. And it's getting so little attention that, frankly, I don't even know the details. Um, right. And I just know that Vladimir Putin is a regular um, uh, subject of uh, discussion on our podcast. He's a very intelligent, very dangerous man. He's incredibly wealthy, incredibly ambitious, and he's also getting up there in age. And he might just have this last hurrah, restore Mother Russia mentality. I don't know, but it's terrifying. And it's amazing to me that that is not way higher on most people's radar. Have you been paying attention to this at all? Because I barely touched it. I've gotten to follow a little bit. The last story I saw was uh, Russia starting to stage some helicopters and looking like they're getting ready for an offensive, basically. So, you know, the the thing for me, a lot of the QAnon and some of the, you know, crazies on the right talked about Trump playing four-level chess with all the media and everybody else. No, 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 no. Putin's the guy that's playing four-level chess with everybody else on the international stage. Uh, this guy, like you said, extremely intelligent. He's basically a mafia-style bully. In the way he runs things, and uh, I think you know, very, very dangerous um, in a lot of situations. So, if he's going to exert his will on NATO, I don't see anybody with the spine to really stand up the way they should and uh, and do what they need to do. But 
uh, yeah, that, that's a situation that, again, I think failure on our news media to keep people informed on a lot of things that, that's going on on the world stage that, you know, they tend to focus on other, uh, in my opinion, more uh, just uh, paparazzi-style right. stories. If it's uh, salacious. Keep us entertained. Yeah. If it's, yeah. If it's what's, salacious. What's titillating. Yeah. If it involves uh, a major person banging another major person who cares about the fact that we could be on the brink of, I, I, I hate to use the term world war, but yikes. I mean, you know, look at look at Syria, how that kind of went down. There, there was some, I think, provocations and stuff that went close there with Russia's involvement, Absolutely. along with our own. Um, you know, the stuff with Ukraine's been going back and forth for quite a while now. Um, so it, it it gets to the point of uh, you you have to start talking about well where where do we stand? Uh, you know, inter, as interventionist, not yep. not just as NATO, but it's as America, what is our foreign policy? Because I think it's obviously with certain people um, throughout the State Department, throughout our government, that you know we've taken a pretty strong interventionist stance going way back. Uh, obviously, hell, even back to Vietnam Cold War, because that was basically our uh, foreign policy developed out of the 1950s, um, coming out of World War II through Korea, was to take an interventionist stance against the spread of communism. And I think that mindset has still pretty much permeated uh, our viewpoint, uh, whether it's tackling terrorism or, or anything else that comes up. Um, so that that for me and coming from my philosophical viewpoint as a libertarian is where I, I kind of want to hit the brakes. It's like, uh, you know, where where do we begin to draw the line and say, you know what, where, where does the war machine stop? Where do we keep, you know um, – where do we not want to insert ourselves, and then where is the right place and the right time to do it? And is this one of those instances? I think it's very scary for the people in Ukraine, and uh, but at the same time, I, I'm just sitting here kind of going, well, w what exactly is our role in this? Do we have a role in this? You know, it, it, it's I completely agree with what you're saying, and I do not classify myself as a libertarian, but I think you what you sort of just said was. The, the real point is we need to decide what our role is because one thing right. that we've been guilty of way too many times is choosing the half-assed position. Well, we'll support yes. you, but we're not going to get involved or we're, <clears throat> or we're going to stick ourselves into a conflict, but say, we're not going to use, you know, not going to use force. We're not going to, you know, I look back at Rwanda where like, okay, we're here. And we actually had an international like alliance to be in Rwanda but we didn't do shit. So we just basically said, right. we'll stand here with guns and watch people get slaughtered, but we'll say that, you know. And Ukraine is strategically huge. Um, and again, I just fear, to fear one mastermind evil guy is so, you know, Marvel movie silly in one way of thinking. The other way of thinking is Putin at least to me, is kind of that. <clears throat> and maybe it's because I don't know the full story and the media has been, you know, what I know, I know through right. American media and, and some international media. But if if my read on this guy is right, and I don't think I'm far off, you know, he's a guy who has real serious ambitions. He's getting up there in age. He has essentially unlimited power, a lot yeah. of resources. And, yeah, we need to decide, like, okay, either we, t we draw a line in the sand and say, Hey Vlad, do this, and th these will be the or re repercussions. Or 
we say, you know what? Not our problem. Um, Y'all figure it out. Right. And of course, we're going to sell whoever wants our weaponry uh, to whoever because, well, let's face it, that drives our economy. But. um, Yep. (laughs) And that's, I think you you hit the point, the half assery that we typically do with uh, interventionism in our foreign policy um, is a big part of the problem. Goes back to Vietnam. Have we ever learned our lessons from that? No, I don't think so at all not on a foreign policy basis, not on a military basis, because we keep making the same mistakes over and over, whether it's Vietnam, Somalia, Korea. Iraq, Afghanistan. Uh, you could even say South Korea to a degree. Um, just, you know, everywhere we've been involved, we jump in for a minute, and it's like, oh, shit, this gets too hot. Let's pull out now um, instead of carrying things through. Or we go or do in the Afghanistan, actually, right? We stay yeah, there for 30 years, 20 years. We go in with no plan. No, you know, that's what finally came out, the Afghanistan papers. We had no real strategy or plan. We didn't know what the fuck we're doing in there. It was just, you know, uh, we're going to go in, we're going to go after the Taliban, we're going to go after al-Qaeda. And then we bounce back and forth, and there's no real strategy to do to accomplish anything. Um, And so now, you know, 20 years, lives wasted, and then we have the kind of pullout that we did. And it's just, I just see the same bullshit over and over and over again and so if it, it's we're going to draw a line in the sand and we're going to take a stand then let's have some real conversation and real talk about what's the long-term policy here what's the long-term plan not you know what do we do right now well let's play some chess because if we're if we're taking this to this step and this move what's the next moves what are their moves going to be and then what are our moves going to be to follow that up and what's the end goal because I don't ever see that really happening. You know, um, yeah, with what, a lot, and that's sorry, good. And I was gonna say, and if you're you're dealing with Putin, if he's if he's looking to make a move on Ukraine, you have to ask the question, what's his next step? Because that's not just an end goal. Right. That's a uh, you know that's a move to build up for something else. So what's what's the end strategy here from his his point of view? I mean, the, the analogies to Hitler get way overplayed. But, yeah. I mean, what did Hitler do in the 30s? I, you know, he, he started reclaiming territories. He belonged to the Reich. And then, right. and, and there were people in, mostly in Europe, but well, almost exclusively in Europe at that point, who said, okay, we'll concede this. Okay, we'll concede this. And then finally, Churchill and, and, and Roosevelt and others said, you got to draw a line in the sand and resulted in World War II. I don't right. know what a world war would look like today, given the advances in technology and weaponry, but it's really ugly yeah. and really scary. Um, yep, hundred percent. I mean, <laughs> the opportunity for mass extinction is not. A, it's it's real. It's a, I don't I don't think anyone wants that, but you put right. a you put a guy like Putin in the middle of it, and if he's if he wants to go out in a blaze of glory, yikes. Um, I don't want to get too fatalistic or, or, or depressing, but <laughs> right. but the fact the fact that we're you know it, it makes me wonder what was life like in 1938, 1937, you know, leading up to World War II, where people in England and France were probably thinking, oh, you know, yeah, they're making a stink, and oh yeah, Germany wants to reclaim this territory that Poland thinks is theirs, but that doesn't really affect us. And then there's others. <clears throat> Well, I think um, history judges uh, Winston Churchill favorably. At the time, right. he would have been called a war hawk and a, you know, a, a fearmonger. And 
it just turns out that, well, the things he was fearing were worthy of that fear. And, um, right. you know, however many million lives lost later, we're reshaping the world. I don't know, man. It's just, it's funny for me to look back at history and think about the, oh, what's the, you know, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And the fact that this is not getting the worldwide attention that I think it deserves scares the shit out of me. Right. All right. Let's move on. I was going to say, let's move okay. on to something less depressing, but I can't even say that. Uh, a man named Stuart Rhodes, a leader of the Oath Keepers, has been charged with seditious conspiracy. Now, I, um, gosh, man, I don't know when the last time we had you on the show was. Have we talked about January 6th one-on-one? I don't know if we got to discuss it. I mean, I've listened to you guys, your conversation with that, and I'm typically, you know, Steve and I have, and I think you and I have texted back and forth about this a good bit. I mean, I've pretty much been 100% on board with y'all's viewpoint on January 6th. I mean, it it pissed me the hell off. And uh, some of the some of the grandstanding by the Republicans and all in the investigations and whatnot just, to me, speaks volumes. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how they're going to continue to carry out. And so them put, uh, you know, placing charges on this guy for that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a hundred percent for it. I mean, seditious conspiracy is a big deal. I don't know what, yep. the, what it carries as in terms of, uh, you know, potential, uh, punitive, uh, charges today, but in the old days, it would have been firing squad. Probably. I'm not encouraging right. that. I'm an anti-death penalty guy, but, I do think that charge accurately um, reflects what um, what they did. It's also, and I, I I don't mean to make light of it, but this is a old fat guy who, if he was going to charge San Juan Hill, would stop three times to catch his breath if he didn't die of a heart attack first. And there's a right. whole lot of um, out of shape weekend warrior types. Now, there's also some badasses out there who are fired up and angry and have been trained to uh, hate the the libtards that are trying to ruin our country. And I run into those guys way more than I wish I did. <laughs> um, there's a story out of Buffalo where there, there's a guy who um, disrupted a school board meeting by not wearing, wearing a mask to get in the door, then taking it off and making a display and just basically trying to be that patriot and he gets arrested and he's doing the whole I'm right. being prosecuted or persecuted by the the liberals and the blah 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 it's like all right you're just being a douche sorry that's all you are doing is being a douchebag if you want right. to go to a school board meeting and they say you have to wear a mask wear it or don't go to the meeting you have your rights are not being violated and when I hear people talk about that it drives me insane I, I don't like wearing masks no one likes it but no. it's not a big but. deal and it's not Nazi oppression, back to the whole comparisons to Hitler thing. <laughs> I mean, dude, you've heard it, right? I've heard it a yep. hundred times. I mean, oh, yeah, a million times over, and uh, and social media is just replete with it. So, yep. It, can you imagine if Facebook existed in 1938? Oh my God! Would would that's that's a whole different discussion. Would the world be yeah. better or worse? Like if if people in you know Krakow, Poland, could say, "Hey, this is going on here," and you in London and New York City and D.C. are not hearing it, would that information getting out make the world better? Or would there be someone saying, uh, listen to these, you know? You know, it's, 
it's probably it's probably like it is now. It's a double-edged sword, right? So there's like for me for social media, uh, I've been able to reconnect with friends from school and and stuff people I hadn't seen in years. Uh, you know, reform some friendships, make new connections in, in a real legitimate way, uh, especially for, you know, even for business, uh, networking, being able to get the job and get here in Kentucky like I did. A lot of that was through social media. Thankful for that. But there's the flip side of there's the other side where all the conspiracy theories, all the crazies, uh, just the way information gets shared, manipulated used everything from bots to uh you know even foreign agents that are using social media to manipulate stories and narrative and everything else and public opinion um you know there's it's so so it cuts with a double-edged sword so i think it would have been the same way in that time period you know as far as i'm concerned mankind we, we haven't changed it's just technology has changed in the way we use it um so we still have the same human nature so it would have been there would have been positive aspects of stories of probably of the Holocaust and what's going on would have gotten out, how people would have received it and responded to it, you know, probably kind of in the same ways they did then too. Uh, a lot of people were in denial about it, um, and a lot of people just didn't want to. Well, that's not our problem um, until it finally they became face to face with it. Uh, so, so I, yeah, I think I think it could you know it could cut both ways. You know, you and I have had a few conversations on the show and off where we <clears throat> basically have, you know, acknowledged that we do not have uh, the same political stance. You're a very much a small government libertarian. I am not. Right. But we also, A, can have a reasonable conversation about it and just, you know, agree to disagree where we, where we do. Where sure. do you stand on um, where we draw the line? Like, what... Sorry, I'm kind of jumping. Yeah, no, I look. I, I think it's. I think it's a. It's an interesting. Um, it's a. It's an interesting and difficult conversation because. Do I see some of the arguments about free speech? Uh, yes, I do. And do I also see where, a lot of these, uh, you know, big tech companies, uh, have a lot of centralized power, to control the narrative. Of what's being out, what's being put out there, um, you know, I, you can take it for what it's worth. I think an interesting book to read, if you've never checked it out, is uh, when I think it's called when Google or when WikiLeaks meets Google or Google meets WikiLeaks by Julian Assange. There's some very interesting points he makes about, uh, you know, ties with Google to to foreign governments, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, just beyond getting out into that thread, but. Um, so I think I don't know. It's I understand where the laws where they are now. Um, I don't like government interference, but at what point do you start to look at some of these companies and go, do they form a monopoly? Isn't it the government's interest to uh, bring down monopolies uh, over over things like this when you've got companies like uh, you know Facebook that control Instagram and everything else and yeah. uh, and these are the major platforms for which people are sharing information. Um, I don't know. Do they need to become utilities? Do they need to become government controlled? I'm not necessarily in favor of that either. But, and that's got to be a real uh, conflict for you. But the the other the other problem is the protections they're given because it's not true free market. So a lot of these places they companies they do have certain protections by the government, and that's allowed them to centralize the the power and control that they have. 
and I think that's a real issue. Um, so, yeah, it's I don't have any solutions. I don't have any answers for it. I think it's a complicated issue, but I'm not on, on one side on the right where they're screaming for, you know, hey, you need to let us just speak what we want, do what we want, say what we want. Uh, yeah, well, these are private companies. But on the other side, I also see where these are also – they've done things to destroy competition and to pretty much centralize control over that part of the industry. So – uh, you know, at, at what point do we strike the balance here? Yeah, I, and I don't know the answer either. I just know that there is so much nonsense out there. And in my, you know, day-to-day -day dealings, you know, being a 50-year-old white guy with a shaved head, I go to the Irish pub around the corner from my place all the time, and I'll sit next to guys, some of whom I know and I'm friends with, some of them just random dudes. Yep. It's always them talking about how it's, you know, they're coming after the white man in America. I'm like, are, are they really? Because right. no, they're not. I mean, they're taking away yeah. our rights. Name one. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's and that for me, I think from my my viewpoint where I am, both sides are very good at this. At the fear, and I've said this before on the show, both sides are really good at the fear mongering to kind of keep their, you know, their supporters in line with what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, so you know the. the the progressives scared that scared to death of the the white cis male that we're going to you know go hang everybody from a noose or whatever, and then the right thinks they're about to get thrown into concentration camps, blah blah blah. And so both sides are so fucking scared of each other that they're not willing to come to the table and talk about anything. Just, and I think that's kind of exactly where uh, if if you're someone if you're a party in power, that's kind of where you want things to be to a degree. I hate to say it that yeah, way, but that, that's you know. I understand what you're saying. I mean, there was like there was some seventy-two-year-old guy who was arrested for threatening to kill Trump if he refused to secede power, or, uh, admit that he, you know, uh, uh, lost the election. I'm not for right. killing people because of I. If you've listened to ten minutes of the show ever, you know I am not a fan of former President Trump. But the right. idea that guys are threatening to, well, you know, I guess I'm just saying there's crazies on the left too who are saying. Um, you know, it's our job to take up arms. And one of the real funny things to me is whenever the right wingers talk about how you know we've got the guns, liberals have guns too. Uh, there's a lot of guns in this country. You're a there's, big yeah. Second Amendment guy. Um, I, I'm I'm a Second Amendment guy, but I'm willing to put some asterisks out there that neither you or Steve are on board with. But right. there's a lot. There's more guns in this country than there are people. And when people talk about a civil war, I don't know what that means, but I do think the escalation of political violence in this country is a huge risk, if not already a reality. Um, well, I mean, I, I think January so 6th too. is and an example. I think so too, and I think there's uh, – sometimes there's a – again, just from my viewpoint and watching the news, there can be – here lately there's, an, I think, in some ways an over – I won't say an overemphasis, but seems to be a lot of focus on right-wing – being extremists and try to consider sure. anybody that's right wing extreme. When I'm looking at, you know, just a few years ago, you had the guy up in Virginia go shoot up the uh, congressional uh, softball or baseball, yep. you know, thing. That was a left. That was a left wing guy that did that. Yeah, we've got what went on January 6, and that's strong evidence of the crazies on the right side. But yeah, there's equally crazies on the left too. And uh, and to me, a lot of it is driven by the fear mongering and the rhetoric from both sides of the aisle. And that's, 
I, I'm kind of, and here's where I think Steve and I really agree on certain things is that shit's got to stop. We've got to get to a place where our politicians can, you know what? They can debate something on the floor. They can walk off at the end of the day, go have a beer together. Uh, kind of like, uh, I hate to you know, use an example, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan. Right, that's the classic. Back in the day. Um, you know, you could sit here and hate each other on the on the congressional floor, but at the end of the day, you're buddies, and you can go have a conversation, have a steak, have a beer or whatever, and talk over your differences, work thing out. That's gone. That We don't have that anymore, and that's a big problem. You know, something you said earlier really hits me on that because that, to me, is not gone. It just doesn't get realized in the sense that when it's social media, when it's news, there's extremes, there's anger, there's hatred. I can't yeah. tell you how many friends I have who I completely disagree with on politics, like could not disagree more with, who if we're exchanging ideas or opinions on Facebook, it gets hostile. And um, if we're sitting next to each other in a bar, we're having a good time. We're talking. Yep. We could even be talking yep. about the exact same things. And because you don't have the, the staleness of a written post on social media or a text or whatever, and because you have that you know time to let things foment, you get angry. Whereas it, just yesterday, I'm going I'm to totally go off script here, talk about the Bills, put a beat down on the New England Patriots last night, and <laughs> I am ecstatic. And to a lot of people... Yeah, congratulations, that, by the way. Oh, that felt so good. Oh, it felt so... To, to just humiliate Bill Belichick after, <laughs> after listening... I, I'm totally going off script, but we don't have a script, but whatever. Um, yeah. But <laughs> to, to, to watch that and just... All week I was listening to stuff leading up to it because that's what I do. Because instead of worrying about Russia and Ukraine, I'm worried about right. Bill Belichick versus Sean McDermott because that's what's really important. Um but there was it's the real all, good versus evil. Right, exactly. <laughs> In my opinion, it is. Um, but there was all kinds of talk about how Bill Belichick was having his team practice out in the cold and the Bills were practicing indoors. And that's how the Patriot way, you know, build that toughness, blah, blah, blah. Right. Had the Bills lost, I would have had to listen to that until kickoff next year. I would yes. have had to listen to douchebag people talking from a really comfortable studio wearing a suit and tie saying that, well, the Patriot way of building that toughness of practicing outdoors, blah, 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 would have, I, uh, I'm not sure I would have made it to next year. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> the fact that we just put a beat down on them. Anyway, the reason I brought that up is a friend of mine who politically is the reason, I, he's the reason I no longer talk politics or barely talk politics on uh on Facebook anymore because he and I would get into these heated exchanges. And because I've got friends who are very right-wing and very left-wing and somewhere in the middle, people would pile in and his crew, same thing, mostly right-wing. And now we got people who've never met, never have no idea who each other are, are threatening to fight in the street. And I'm like, well, you live in Detroit and you live in Chicago, which is not that far of a drive. So if you want to meet up in South Bend, Indiana and fight, go ahead. But you're going to drive two hours thinking about I'm 48 years old and have a bad hip. Do I really want to do this? Um, but on that platform, it's nothing but anger and vitriol. That same guy texted me that texted me yesterday because he knows me as a huge Bills fan and just yeah. wanted to talk football. And when he thinks Buffalo Bills, he thinks me. And I ran into that guy randomly in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a couple years ago, and sat and shot pool and drank beer with him. And everything was fantastic. 
and he talked about coming to see me do a comedy show, and you know, it was great. But the second you make that a group chat with the impersonal, uh, you know, reality of of social media, it's hate. And right. So so, you know. Maybe the reason that Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan could sit down and have a conversation, have a beer, and is because when you're sitting across from a real human being and having a conversation, it's not that hard. When it's an impersonal blurb, it's real easy for shit to get wild. Well, that, I, here, here's my here's a little bit of pushback I have on that. It's and it's not my point of view here is not so much the general public because yeah, social media does its thing but if you go out and you just talk to people in general like we're doing right here uh, you can have you can have typically you can have general good conversations with people and disagree and talk about your differences there's there's still some nuts out there that just will totally you know if you're if you're a trump supporter or if you're a progressive then i don't have i don't want to have anything you know you have nothing i want to i don't want to hear anything you have to say what I'm going towards is the actual politicians uh, in Washington, in government, what's going on there, because I think what we've seen is it had the rhetoric has flared up more than what it used to be. It has gotten more divisive. They're not sitting down at the table as much as you used to see. You used to see a lot more compromise on bills and on things being passed, and now if you look at it, it's pretty much down the line vote on this, that, or the other. There's no coming together, kind of like, you know, getting this whole infrastructure bill through. You just had a handful of Republicans finally swing over. Um, but for the most part, sitting down and working this out, uh, I think if you want a good glimpse into what's going on in politics, uh, go back over the last year, listen to a couple of the podcasts from Joe Rogan and from Jocko where they interview Tulsi Gabbard. I think yep. she paints a very good picture of what's going on in the way both parties are trying to control their members and what's going on. And there's just a refusal to compromise on either side. And uh, and it's it, bottom line, it's hurting the country because they, they've gotten to where it's all about power and control from one side or the other. The country can go to hell in a handbasket. And as long as we do what we need to do to stay in power and control, that's all that matters. Um, and I personally know a lot of a lot of guys who have gotten elected to Congress that went with good intentions, but the second they walk through those doors, they're basically neutered. You either toe the party line, or we're going to make sure you don't get back in here. And uh, unfortunately, that's that's so much of what happens. And how we change that, I don't know. But I think that's what needs to change. Well, I don't know how to fix it either. But I mean. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, backing up your point, congressmen and senators have become celebrities, um, yeah. and and they they want to hang on to their power in the same way Kanye West or Justin Bieber or whatever. They they need to stay in the public eye and keep the crazies happy. I mean, we talked last week about how Ted Cruz had the nerve to call January sixth the terrorist attack. And then had to go and grovel on Tucker Carlson's show. To, yeah. I mean, that, that was the definition of pathetic. But the fact that Ted Cruz yep. can even become a celebrity politician. I mean, he's... Well, and it's all, it's all about, Jim, it's all about the fucking soundbite. Yeah. You know, congr I've heard Steve kind of get pissed off about, like, congressional hearings. Who gives a shit? 
And I'm the same way. Who gives a shit about a congressional or senatorial hearing anymore? When's the last time that we had a congressional hearing or an investigation and something actually got done? All it is is for these assholes to get up there and spout off their one-liners and get off their little shots to make their side think, hey, look, he just you know, he just he trashed just, Fauci he, or he just trashed right. this guy or that girl. Um, and then what actually happens? Nothing. Fucking nothing. Not a damn thing changes. And that's where it's, it's a circus. It's a three-ring circus. Yeah. And I'm, I personally, I'm sick of it all. So. Uh, no, I understand. Um, in fact, did you did you happen to catch Fauci calling? I think his name was Roger Marshall, a Republican uh, senator from Kansas, was trying to get his grandstand moment, and Fauci's mic yeah. catches him calling. He's like, fuck. Actually, he said the Lord's name in yeah. vain, which yeah, despite my being not so religious anymore, I still don't do. But then he called the guy right. a moron. It was a Roger Marshall, a Republican from Kansas. Like, say what you want about Fauci. I think the guy has plenty of flaws. I think he's a very... He's yeah. a doctor, and I think lots of doctors are very arrogant, and they tell you to do things based on, you know, I'm a doctor, so listen to me. Having said right. that, I don't think he has a political agenda. Um, he has become so politicized, and for him to sit there in front of a, a senatorial commission and have to answer questions and listen to things like, should I, you know, eat horse paste that's going to make me shit myself in public because, <laughs> which, yes, I'm exaggerating, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I put myself in his shoes. And it's like, he's a doctor. I know someone who knew him when he was coming up in the uh, uh, CDC. And he said, you know, at the, at the time, this friend of mine worked for the FDA. And he was like, the guy was revered as being brilliant. And just because you're brilliant doesn't mean you can't make mistakes. I think he yeah. said and did a bunch of stuff that, you know, is regrettable. But all in all, the guy is a brilliant doctor who knows virology way better than me. And... The fact, the idea that he's got some political agenda to take down Trump is foolish, in my opinion, and yet he's still out there in that, you know, in the public eye being viewed that way. It's just right. It's yeah, that, that's some of the bullshit. The other, the other side of it too is, and the problem I have with the whole political COVID debate is one side wants to question and not believe anything. The other, there's an aspect to the other side that doesn't want you to question anything. Don't question the science. Believe the science. They know. They're the experts. So you should just accept what they say. And in my opinion, it's, well, isn't that actually the antithesis of science? Isn't the point of science to question everything, to yeah. challenge everything, you know, to submit to peer review? And so th there's a, there's, I do see a little bit of arrogance on Fauci and like, he does not like to be questioned, does not like to be challenged. But it's like, you know what? That's why you're there. That's the point of doing what you do. And he may be absolutely brilliant, but also understand he has gotten into a place of political power, if you will, and power does corrupt to a degree. So is he saying some things and doing some things that, you know, maybe he's feeling his own self-worth or self-importance? Maybe so. But is he the scandalous, evil, bad guy that the right wants to make him out to be? No, <laughs> you know, right. usually the answer is somewhere in between. Yeah, so. no, I think the perfect example of, of that is early on, Fauci said you don't need masks, and, and the people who hate right. Fauci go to that. And I, in my opinion, and this is an opinion, but I think I can back it up with logic, is when the, it's the N95 mask, which is clearly the best way to protect yourself from, uh, you know, spreading or contracting a virus, those were in demand, and I think he believed... If I say this will keep you safe, 
everyone will go out and hoard those, and then the people who need them on the front lines will be denied of them. So I think he told a uh, a lot a lie is maybe too strong of a word, but I think he spread disinformation right. to say to do what he thought was right was to protect you know the people who needed these things and wanted to prevent hoarding. And if you think I'm crazy. Try to buy toilet paper, you know, whatever a year and a half ago. Oh God! Um, yeah. And and uh, and there's limits on how much toilet paper you can buy because for some reason that became the commodity. And if you need to judge how dumb we are as a society, there's my example. But I think I think Fauci said something that was deceptive to promote a you know to, to do what and I'm sure in his mind was the right thing. I want to protect these frontline workers. But then when you when you cry wolf. <laughs> People will say, wait a minute, you said this, now you're saying that. And to your point a minute right. ago, science is about adapting. It is about learning. I mean, you know, yes. the the early days of the pandemic, I was not allowed to bring my hippy-dippy reusable grocery bags into grocery stores because COVID is being transmitted through grocery bags. I mean... Right. <laughs> um, well, uh, yeah, just... just- Understand the simple fact, science changes. Even what we know about COVID right now in 10 years is probably going to change. Same thing with cancer. And every, I mean, 200 sure. years ago, it was accepted science to cut and bleed people when they were sick. Yep. You know, that was that was science. That's what the doctors were telling you. I sit here and look at it now and, and wonder sometimes, this is just, you know, the way my mind works. 50 years from now, 60 years from now, are we going to look back at the way we're treating cancer with uh, chemo and radiation going, what the fuck were we doing to people? That was absolutely horrible. There's, we have much better understanding. There's a much better way to do this now. Same thing with the approach to COVID. And I think sometimes, especially, especially with government, especially with anybody in leadership, sometimes you want to get out ahead of things. And I think they were trying to get out ahead of COVID with people, and they were making some statements before they really had understanding to do things and that causes mistrust in the public and that's you know that was a mistake and i you know and seeing the cdc continually waffle back and forth on rules and changes and okay it's okay to do this now now it's not you know um how about you hold off on making any kind of statement until we know for sure that this is the right approach to do you know you know i agree with your uh principle i think maybe the better way is to couch those um, those statements with the level of you know reliability to say right. we don't know here is our best thing right now so then when you come back and say um, you know oh we were wrong about this it's not well you told us this before and now you're saying the opposite so who do we trust I, this is a again total spinoff but I used to be a really good and really uh, prominent bar trivia guy. Like I, yes. I was a bar trivia nerd, um, and whenever you're on a trivia team, I would always tell people on my team, "Give me your answer, but right. tell me your level of confidence." I, I can't yep. tell you how many times we'd be in like, you know, I have a specific example. I was someone asked, "What is the most, uh, you know, uh, the most." The oh shit, I'm stumbling over my words. What element is most prevalent in the uh, in the earth? And there was this girl who would go, uh, carbon, oxygen, aluminum, uh, iron. She would say ten things, right? And none of them, and one of them ends up being right. 
And we would go with the wrong answer, and she would come back and say, I said that. Well, you said 10 things. Right. You get to, you know, right. it's real easy to know after the answer is revealed. But if you would have said, I think it's aluminum, I'm pretty sure, but I'm 50%, and we go, okay, let's go with carbon, and the answer ends up being aluminum. Okay, you said those that word, but you didn't state your level of confidence. And we don't get that certainty and, um, you know, confidence getting portrayed has become way more important than reality and being right. Yeah. And, well, and, and if Fauci I, would have come out and said, you know, these, these masks are really important for frontline workers. You should wear a you know, cloth mask to do this. We're still learning. Stick with us. You know, this is a novel virus. They'd be way better off. And when people said, well, Fauci said this, he's clearly a liar. It, the, the, that argument loses its teeth when you say, well, he said that this is the best we're doing right now, but this is an ongoing thing. You know, and that's that's the thing is to me that's a lot of the rhetoric is kind of a talk around, and trying to push the blame off on well this is just the process of science. I'm a I'm a big student of leadership, uh, personally a big fan of Jocko. Love his podcast, love his books that he's written on leadership, and you know one of the primary points of that is own your mistakes. And that is something we lack dearly in politics and government right now. Somebody makes a mistake. They don't want to. They don't want to. They don't want to claim it. Not, you know, not just like just like just like with Biden and the whole Afghanistan pullout and the whole ordeal there. They don't want to step up and say, you know what, we screwed this up. Sorry. Instead, it's let's cast blame on the other side or let's push off here or let's talk around it. You know what? Just straight up and come out and say, you know what, we totally screwed this up. We got this wrong. Sorry. But here's what we're learning and here's what we know now and here's the best approach. And here's what we'll do differently in yeah. the future. Yeah. And pe people will actually, I think the, the mindset is if I admit a mistake, then nobody's going to trust me and nobody's going to believe me. No, if you actually humble yourself and admit your mistake, people are going to actually trust you more than before. You and know, there's this perceptional leadership to, I have to be flawless. I have to be perfect. I can't make a mistake. And that's a wrong perception. You will actually build more trust with people if you're willing to own your shit, own your mistakes, and step up to the plate and say, you know what? I fucked up here, but here's what we're going to do. And I think people are going to be a lot more forgiving of that than if you try to just politically weasel your way around it, not really admit that you screwed up. Just say, well, this is what we understood then, but we're now looking at this now. No, just say, you know what? Yeah, we were wrong. We were flat out wrong here, but this is this is going to be the best approach going forward. So... I would love to. I would love to see that happen. That does make yeah. me think a little bit about when Obama was elected. He basically owned a lot of America's mistakes, with mostly in the Middle right. East, and the right wing attacked him for being an apologist and anti-American. And, yep. and and so I don't know. That doesn't quite fall into the category of what you were just saying because that was not him admitting a mistake his administration had made. It was like, oh yeah, the guys right. before me screwed up. Here I am trying to fix it and, and pretending that America was a was a you know everyone on board uh, country which we clearly are not um, right but yeah I mean philosophically that got handled very differently than what you just said but again that was not a person owning their foul foul up their you know, right. mistake yeah, it was you gotta, yeah. the guy own before your, me fucked up well good for, right. but yeah I it would be hilarious to see what would happen if I shouldn't say hilarious. 
I would love to see what would happen if someone either side, I don't care who, just stepped up and owned it. And honestly, yep. to a degree, I think we're seeing that with the likes of Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, not quite in the whole, I made a mistake, I'm owning it, but they're trying to say the party has gone off the rails yep. and they are getting destroyed for it. And yeah. I, I, someone stepping up, and you're seeing a bit more of it now. There's, there's more and more people standing up and saying, um, you know, the election in 2020 was legitimate. It's time to move on. And Trump getting, I think Trump's hold of power is, is waning. Even though Lindsey Graham, your former senator, spent much of the week kissing Trump's ass and calling out Mitch McConnell, which is as much as I have. You know what? Your current senator and your former senator right. are bickering. Did, I, again, I'm going off script, but do you want to talk about that? Because that's pretty entertaining to me. Yeah, yeah, go for it. So the fact that Lindsey Graham, who was once John McCain's best buddy, and say what you want about John McCain, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I was an outspoken supporter of the guy. I didn't agree with him on policy a whole lot, but I thought he had integrity. And a couple yeah. of weeks ago, we talked about Bob Dole's passing. And Bob Dole, a guy who, do I agree with his philosophies? No. But right. I think he was, had integrity, and he had principles, and he had... Um, you know, a belief of how to do things. And whether I agree with it or not, I think he could have sat down with anyone with a di differing opinion and talked about it. And maybe at the end of the day said, all right, I disagree and I'm going to vote in ways that go against everything you're saying. But, you know, here we are talking. Yep. Today, that is just not happening. And when you see a guy like Lindsey Graham, who's been a sniveling douchebag for a long time, in my opinion, no Right. No offense to see if he gets mad about the name calling, but he's not here. So Lindsey Graham is a sniveling, <laughs> whiny douchebag who is doing all everything he's doing, in my opinion. And this goes for Cruz and it goes for plenty of people on both sides. All they're trying to do is hold on to their piece of the pie because the 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 drug that is um, political power has to be really addictive. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine what it would be like to be a senator. And I'm going to say this and I'm I'm kind of ripping off a Steve line here, but when I see someone on TV in with representative or senator or president or whatever underneath their name, I'm like, that person must be really smart, really dedicated, really hardworking. And we should keep in mind that a lot of these guys are not smart at all. They're charismatic. Right. They're in the right position where they get the right letter next to their name in a gerrymandered district that basically guarantees their election, and now because these jobs, these political jobs have become celebrity roles, all they want to do is hang on to that power, which I guess I really cannot relate to, but right. it's there. And I'm going to segue right into uh, Matt Gates. Uh, Matt Gates has been a target of the left for a long time, and for good reason. I think Matt Gates is a grandstanding caricature of a human being and a complete scumbag. And he's being investigated for, among other things, uh, sex trafficking. And the, the likes of uh, the left-wing media in general, um, you know, MSNBC, whatever you want, uh, the, the ones yeah. that I listen to the most in that regard are the Young Turks. Are you familiar with them? Do you listen to them at all? 
I I've listened to a few times, uh, so I have a familiarity, but I I don't go really deep in with those guys. They they have been piling on to Matt Gates is about to go down, for I'm guessing going on a year. Uh, okay. So they've been they've been you know in in this they're a perfect example of sensationalized uh, clickbait where they'll say you know Matt Gates on the verge of blah blah blah. Right. And Steve and I made a decision months ago like when something legitimate happens we'll talk about it until then shut up because you're wanting to i mean finding ways to make matt gates look like a grandstanding phony caricature douchebag is easy and it's great for ratings but the idea that he's on the verge of going to prison for sex trafficking as delicious as the the young turks and msnbc would find that it was largely garbage however Right. Now, his ex-girlfriend, who was 17 at the time of uh, this investigation starting, is about to testify. And when she does, then suddenly this gets a little more interesting. The rubber might be meeting the road a little bit. Uh, well, be interesting to see. I've kind of got kind of got y'all's viewpoint. Per- personally, I have zero to little confidence in federal investigations <laughs> lately, or anything the FBI investigates or checks out, just because. Seems like the track record, especially dealing with uh, with major politicians and all, is is not been great. So, when the actual charges come and there's a you know, th- then I'll believe it when I see it kind of thing. But that that definitely kind of ratchets things up a little bit. If you got the ex girlfriend that's willing to come in and testify, uh, this is going to be interesting to see where it goes. Well, I don't but, know if she's willing yeah. or not, but she's going to be on the stand yeah. and right, you know. So. My question for you, I haven't seen this. Has, has anybody from the right really stepped out to condemn Gates? Oh, condemn him? Um, not, or, not as much as they just been pretty much silent. Mostly silent. There have been, I mean, there, there are people who are saying like he's walking around the floors of Congress showing pictures of girls he's been with, you know, in little yeah. to no clothing, which when that happens in a gym locker room, it's, it's immature and inappropriate, but... When it's happening on the floor of Congress, it's like, wow, are we there? And I think we are. Um, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Gates have basically locked arms and and done the whole, you know, we're patriots, the libs hate America thing. Uh, I think there's been lots of folks who have kind of quietly condemned him, but no one has stepped out and said, this guy is a disgrace to the, no Republican has come out and said, this guy is a disgrace to this, you know, institution and he needs to go and when yep. people on the left say it it doesn't hold any weight because they're you know immediately dismissed as political hacks I mean, just, and some of them are <laughs> just reported behavior alone somebody ought to have stepped up and it, kind of getting back to this you know own your shit own your stuff on your side when somebody when somebody is an embarrassment uh step up as a party to own that uh, now, I, I can completely understand the viewpoint of, you know what, there's an investigation going on. We're not going to comment until this is done. The whole innocent sure. until proven guilty perspective, I am all for that. Uh, but he's already shown some you know uh, reprehensible behavior, regardless of guilt or not, that, uh, in my opinion, a, a standing member of Congress and the Senate should not be participating in. And so that that's where I think, you know, people in the Republican or whether he was doesn't matter Republican Democrat independent whoever you know st- step up and just uh, and own the own the shit on this guy you know yeah and professionalism is 
Like there's things that I will say and do on this show or when I'm at the at the bar or whatever that if I did those things in the office, I would lose my job immediately. Yep. And I should. Um, you know, <laughs> the stuff that used to be acceptable in the office that isn't anymore is kind of a standard for all the people saying, um, oh, you know, and it was mostly the angry white guy. Like, you can't do anything anymore. Oh, what? You can't slap a female coworker on the ass anymore like you could in the 50s? Right. Well, okay, you're right. You can't. And just because it was accepted in the 50s doesn't mean it was okay. It was just accepted. And the fact that exactly. we've evolved as a culture and said, no, no, whether you're you know, a man or a woman, you should not have your body violated in the workplace. Uh, you know, That's not <laughs> failure to maintain the good old days. It's recognizing, damn, that was wrong. And yeah. whether it's, you know, you know, and this is where the 50-year-old white guy in the office is playing the victim card. And it's like, look, you're, just, I, I had this conversation yesterday. One of my friends, nice guy, starts talking about how, actually, you know, let me sidebar again. So, something, we were in a bar. I'm getting ready for the Bills game, all decked out in my Buffalo stuff. And the topic of Antonio Brown almost becoming a Bill came up. And then they start talking about Antonio Brown in general. And Antonio Brown, in my right. opinion, clearly has issues. I mean, whether he's bipolar or I don't know. But the dude's a nutcase. Yep. And, and probably needs serious mental health help, whether it's, you know, medication or whatever. I don't know. But he's a supremely talented human being who is just has destroyed what he could have been because of mental health issues. And right. And, you know, it's, I'll, I've made plenty of the jokes. I, I'm not a good person, whatever. But, uh, but he, uh, the, the, so the guy that goes, he's just as big an asshole as that guy Kaepernick. And I went, okay, time the fuck out. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so it's, it's me and four other guys in this conversation. Let's just say that I was the only one holding the opinion of, say what you want about Kaepernick. And the guy said, well, he compared the NFL draft to slavery. I'm like, all right, he did say something dumb about that. He said some dumb things. However, the issues he was protesting were are real, and I and I said that as you know, his issues are real. And like, did he destroy his career? Yeah, he, he did. He he put his stance ahead of his career. And if you want to say that's a bad decision, that's your opinion. But don't put him in the same category as crazy black guy, whatever. And so anyway, I ended up in this four-on-one four discussion, and it did stay right. very civil. And one thing, Ben, that you deserve a lot of credit for is during a lot of the, um, you know, real racial turmoil we've had in the last several years, you hosted conversations where you were one white guy with four black guys on your, you know, platform, and you basically let the conversation happen and you participated when you were asked to, but you let, you know, people speak their minds. And I think that's one of the reasons um, Steve and I appreciate you so much is you said, all right, I realize that these things don't affect me the same way they affect other people in my country, and I want them to have a chance to talk. And when, again, I'm going totally off the rails here, but when you compare Antonio Brown to Colin Kaepernick, you're just saying, black guy who did crazy thing, I'm going to get angry now as white guy in a bar. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, basically. It's kind of like, so one of the podcasts I do is called Bourbon Turntable. We discuss music. Uh, one side we kind of treat it like a like a, a vinyl we have side a side b one side we talk whiskey the other side we talk music and we just this past week did a show we talked 
90 proof whiskeys and bourbons mainly, and then 90s wrap. And so, part, and so I, I find it kind of funny. It's like here's three white guys discussing 90s wrap, right? Okay. Right. So, but anyway, part of the conversation turned to uh, with gangster rap and some of the, uh, you know, there were, there were moves back in late eighties, early nineties, whenever it was for censorship and whatnot. Uh, hip hop industry was targeted a lot. Sure. And, and, you know, just like, well, how, how do we feel about that? And I'm just like, for me, I don't feel like I have a place to talk about it because I haven't, the, the life experience these guys have and what they're talking to and speaking to, I don't have a right. To, I don't feel like I have a right to judge that. I don't feel like I have a right to speak that because I haven't lived that. I haven't come through that, and uh, you know. And so there's a there's a there's a there's a place for that. And I think it's time for honestly a lot. You know, looking at Antonio Brown, we don't know what the dude's been through. I don't know what his life has been like. Obviously, his behavior is definitely off. Uh, but to sit here and just totally criticize and bash the guy. You know, that that's part of the problem with people getting mental health treatment these days is we sit here and we bash the shit out of people like that instead of, you know what, what what contributed to this? What's the root cause of this? Let's get to actually help the guy instead of just, you know, berating the shit out of him. And it, I find the, the conversation about Kaepernick very funny because – the same people on the right that want to bash Kaepernick for standing up and taking a political stance, and they'll, they'll say the same thing about LeBron James everybody else. They just need to shut up and play. Uh, that, that, that came up, up in the conversation football. yesterday, too. And it's like, wait a second. Are they not American just like you? Do they not have the same uh, First Amendment rights just like you do? You complain about censorship on Facebook or wherever else you feel like you're being a oppressed, your right to speak out is oppressed, but you want these guys to turn around and shut up and not speak out politically either. So, uh, you, know, you know, enough with the fucking hypocrisy. It, it's funny you say that because in the conversation yesterday, I didn't go hard to the whole using a LeBron uh, reference as I could have. And I wish I had right. because so someone then brought up, I wish LeBron, he asked me, would you take LeBron back on the Cavs? I'm like, in a heartbeat. Why? Right. I'm like, because he's arguably the greatest basketball player ever to play the game. Well, yeah, but I wish he would just shut up about politics. And I said, yeah, you know what? Athletes used to not talk about politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar never talked about... Well, I, I didn't like him either. Yeah, Muhammad Ali never brought up politics. Jesse Owens never brought up politics. Fuck you right. guys. The, they have a platform. And what I wish I had said yesterday, and I didn't, and I'm fucking mad at myself. In fact, I will be honest with you. I will provoke this conversation again so I can do this. Who the fuck is Rush Limbaugh to talk politics? Right. He was a wannabe DJ who learned what to say to make people mad and get himself ratings. He is no more qualified educationally or based on experience than LeBron James. I would argue far less qualified. Well, now he's dead, so it's much less qualified. Um, but, you know, all these folks who do this shit for a living, who have essentially no credentials, they're leaders. They right. Tucker Carlson gets to say shit, why? What has Tucker Carlson ever done? And you want to throw... I, I want to talk about um, DirecTV canceling OAN, but you know what do these people have that makes them worthy of listening to? And if you can't, you know, when they say something, it's gospel. But when LeBron James says it, it's uh, it's that guy who makes all this money, he's making all kinds of money, all this money. Why doesn't he just shut up and do what you know? Entertain me, you know, be my. Uh, to quote John Stewart, he's not there to be your monkey. He's not there to right. entertain you. And right, it you know he. He's, he's there to do his job 
And because of his job, he has a platform, and he uses that platform to speak out on what he thinks is right. And you can agree or disagree, but don't tell me he doesn't have, he shouldn't be doing that because he should be just playing this game. Um, right. And so I want to talk, talk about uh, DirecTV canceling OAN, and you mentioned you put OAN in the same regard as MSNBC yep. uh, when we were getting ready for the show. And I, I disagree, but I want to talk about OAN for a second. So DirecTV is canceling OAN. This is not because of their pro-Trump stance or whatever, whatever. It's because they weren't making enough money off of it. Yeah. Period. I don't know if OAN made a power move saying we've gained this level of, of viewership and therefore DirecTV, you need to pay us more. And DirecTV said, well, no, we don't. I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Right. I know this is not a moral move by DirecTV. I think OAN, I listen to, I watch OAM, OAN all the time because I find it hilarious and i shouldn't because their propaganda <laughs> is i mean they advertise for trumpy bear have you ever seen the trumpy bear ad we talked about it on the show uh, i heard y'all talk about okay. it i never saw it personally dude. so honestly thankful <laughs> no go, dude go on youtube type in trumpy bear watch it and try to realize that this is not a saturday night live spoof this is a legitimate thing i i'm begging you to do that yeah. You, if you choose not to, but the, that's <laughs> right. but the re, the reason I don't put OAN and MSNBC in the same uh, bucket is because MSNBC's lead-in morning show, which is typically a, a powerful position on um, a network, features Joe Scarborough, and Joe Scarborough was once a very conservative Republican congressman from Florida, and his views have changed, and he's morphed a bit, and he's uh, has become an independent because he doesn't like where the Republican Party went, but that puts him kind of in the same category as you. I think you were a former Republican who said, okay, y'all are jumping off the rails. I'm, my, my positions are my positions for a reason, not just because you told me I should have them. And that's where, in my opinion, MSNBC differs from OAN, which is 100% in the we need to lick Trump's boots, we need to go hardcore right, people will listen to our nonsense, and while, yes, there's plenty of nonsense on MSNBC, um, they at least do have some balance on their network. OAN is just, you know, pedal to the floor, go for it, Trumpy Bear, buy your Trumpy Bear, buy your my pillow, and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, w- I won't disagree with you on that. I, th- I think, you know, if, if you're going to rate them, yeah, are they a little bit further on the extreme than uh than msnbc and in, in representing their viewpoint uh yeah but still msnbc has their own agenda and it's not just presenting a fair and balanced portrait of the news which i find it hilarious that's how fox news got its start as fair and balanced and, right uh, you know that that's a total farce as well and quite honestly i don't i don't know that any news source presents really fair and balanced perspective of news stories because the big the big part of it a lot of people miss out on is it's not just how they report stories it's deciding which stories they want to report as well right their silence on others right and so it's kind of like we opened up the show with talking about ukraine um you know there's a lot of silence on that and uh you start to have to ask you have to you have to ask the question why and you know, we and both know the answer I, the answer is money <laughs> Yeah, and and and, and 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 by the way, I completely. If you want to say that MSNBC is literally the photo negative of Fox, I will completely agree with you. Yeah, because yeah. They, yeah, they, I think right. that's their entire business model is, hey, they're making a lot of money doing this shit on the right. You know, why do we need to be reasonable? Let's and I, 
I think if you listen to, I I've talked about my dislike of Rachel Maddow um, on the show before, and my dislike for her is simply that well, I think she's well, she destroyed a radio show uh, on on what used to be called Air America. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say she destroyed. She replaced a show that I loved called the the Morning Sedition, ironically, back in the Bush days, and she replaced a show that. Um, was, in my opinion, entertaining, informative, and just very funny. And then she stepped on, took over that spot, and she tried to be funny. And whether I'm having a killer set or bombing, I know what it's like to try to be funny. And when it's working, it's great. When it's not, it's awful. But when you're terrible at it and you have to do it for three hours a day, it's just gut-wrenchingly painful. And that's, right. that's my introduction to, to Rachel Maddow. She tried to step in and be funny. I'm like, you're not funny. You're a smart woman. But, You've got your points. I might agree or disagree with you. You clearly have an agenda, but you're not funny. <laughs> oh, speaking, speaking of stand-up and comics, this, this is a quick diversion here, but you hear the latest Rogan interview with Gaffigan? I listened to some of it. Yes, I did. This would be a good way to close yeah, out I the did, show, actually. I thought it was just – I was going to say, I just thought it was really interesting, some of her perspectives on the different comics and uh, – and stand up and everything, you know. So I have a beef with Jim Gaffigan. Yeah. And my beef is that I, well, first of all, I have a beef with clean comics, and it's okay. purely a jealousy thing because <laughs> because I, I'm like, you're doing something I can't do, and I know I couldn't do it. And if I'm being completely dispassionate, Jim Gaffigan is a phenomenal comic. The guy is hilarious. Right. And he's witty, and he's, <laughs> but he always works clean, and it bothers me. Right. And I actually, I did a bit years ago that was relatively close to a Jim Gaffigan bit. And I'm listening to it on, so my bit was about working out on elliptical and, you know, sweating my ass off for 35 minutes and doing the equivalent of burning off three bites of a Big Mac. And Jim Gaffigan had a bit about how he did something, and he, it was 50 calories, and it was like sniffing a Big Mac. And I initially heard that bit, and I'm like, this is cool. One of the you know, most regarded comics in the game has the same, same joke as me. And I thought, fuck, right. now people are going to accuse me of stealing Jim Caffigan's joke because they know him, they don't know me. So I did right. a bit. I, can't, I, I do that bit, and then I say, and Jim Gaffigan does something close to this, and I can't do that bit anymore because I can't have you thinking that Jim Gaffigan stole this guy from Cleveland's joke. Um, and that's the response I got when I did it. <laughs> so you just validated why I don't do that bit anymore. But yeah, I love when Rogan talks to uh, comics. I love comedy right. as a as an art form. And it, Joe Rogan to me is a perfect example of what is wrong with today. Not that he's wrong, but how either side will take a thirty second to five minute soundbite from Joe Rogan who by his own admission is a comic and a cage-fighting commentator and a pothead, yep. and they'll say, oh, Joe Rogan's this alt-right lunatic, or Joe Rogan's this left-wing whatever. No, he's a guy with a, a, a curious nature who's, in my opinion, a phenomenal comic. I love the yep. fact that he interviews people, and this just came up on uh, it was the Gaffigan thing, and then something else came up where it's like, Joe Rogan gets owned on his own show. No, he didn't. He had a conversation Ooh. with an adult. And they disagreed, yep. and in, in the one case, and this was a guy who had some uh, scientific background, Joe Rogan said something about you're just as likely to suffer heart consequences from the vaccine as from actually getting um, 
COVID. And the guy said, no, you're about eight to one more likely to get that uh, myocarditis, I think is the term, uh, from, yeah. from, uh, from COVID than you are from the vaccine. And CNN was all over it, and the Young Turks were all over it. Look at Joe Rogan getting owned on his own show. No, he had a conversation with an adult who probably knows more about that particular subject than him. They called up the data, and Joe Rogan did push back and say, I want to know where that information comes from because, God forbid, you read something and question the source. <laughs> right. Um, right. No, that's that's what I appreciate about Rogan. He, he doesn't come he's, – he's not here trying to be like, I'm an authority – He's done a hell of a lot of research, and but he's inquisitive and he's always looking to learn, and that's and he's you know, willing, that, that's something that I wish a lot a lot more of us were uh, were like a hundred percent in that regard. I mean, when people so I'm an unapologetic Joe Rogan fan, um, yep. and by the way, on our first ever episode of our show, Steve tried to get me to fight Joe Rogan, which I would never do because <laughs> Joe Rogan would cave in my leg with a leg kick that. Ugh. <laughs> Steve started yeah. talking. Steve was talking shit on my behalf to Joe Rogan on our first show ever. Oh, that's then, hilarious! Because oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, Joe Rogan inspired me to start a podcast, and, and, and Steve and I being friends was what led to our first show starting and ultimately becoming Whiskey Congress. Um, right. So I am a huge fan, and the fact that he's become a polarizing political figure, despite clearly not asking for or trying to be that. And the fact that right. both sides use him as a look at this alt-right psycho, look at this lefty, whatever, you know, whenever he says two words that disagree with your foundation, suddenly he's the enemy. And he's like, I'm a comic who talks, who, by the way, knows a shitload about mixed martial arts. And yep. I've learned a ton about mixed martial arts. I took, I started doing jujitsu because of him. I mean, I'm, nice. I'm a, a Rogan guy through and through, but you know, he is what he is. He doesn't pretend to be what he's not. And yet the media, both sides of the media, if I hate that expression, but both sides of the media use him as an example of why the other side is evil or wrong. And I just heard that um, a whole bunch of doctors like sent a petition, a signed petition to Spotify asking to censor, censor him because he's spreading disinformation. I have a huge problem with that, among them Big being, time. if you're getting your information from Joe Rogan, like, he's entertaining, he's saying things, if he's your definitive source, you're lost. Right. All right, I'm going to give you the last word, man, then we got to wrap this up, we've gone a bit long. No problem. So, yeah, what, <laughs> okay. where, where do you want to go from here? You, no, go, go with it. I'm, I'm giving you the last word, and I want you to promote your podcasts, and again, I really appreciate you coming on, man, I always enjoy talking yeah. to you. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, for me, big, big fan of you guys because I love just the way you approach topics and uh, willing to have the hard discussions um, and uh, and do it in the right way. Uh, so, I, you know, again, from the time I discovered you guys on uh, Twitter and started listening, uh, just just really value your opinion. You're a podcast I, I go to weekly. Um Love to be challenged by your viewpoints. Sometimes I disagree on things, and sometimes I agree, and sometimes I have to sit down and think about some things you got to say. I definitely appreciate that. Um, so as for me, uh, you can find me. Um, I'm on Instagram at Ronan Whiskey. Uh, you can follow my whiskey adventures there. I'm currently working in the industry, uh, learning to be a distiller. Uh, that's my end goal, to, to become a head distiller somewhere. Uh, just have a real passion for for spirits, um, 
I have two YouTube casts that we do. One's called My Whiskey Den. We focus on craft whiskey here in the U.S. We'll talk about some of the big guys and Scotch and Irish and Japanese and other things, but our focus is American craft and micro distillers. Uh, we typically have a Monday show called An Evening With. Where we'll bring on an industry person or distiller and get real nerdy about the process and about their products and what they're doing. Uh, the other show I mentioned earlier is Bourbon Turntable with two different guys. We represent three generations, uh, Kevin and myself and then Drew, who's younger, who's actually a musician himself, and just released his first EP this weekend. Uh, you should check that out called Tower Songs. Find that on Spotify. Uh, great musician, but uh, we do uh, a show where we focus on whiskey on one side and then we talk music on the other. Uh, everything from individual bands to albums to genres, uh, we, we kind of get, get a little nerdy on the music and, and the whiskey side of things. Two things that people tend to put together anyway, you know, nothing like sitting down with a good pour or something and enjoying some good music or a live show, and that's, that's kind of what we make the show about. Um, but that's that's what we're doing. I'm working at Kentucky Artisan here in uh, Crestwood, Kentucky. Uh, you probably will know us because of Jefferson's Bourbon. Uh, that's that's one of the things we do there. Um, but a, a great craft distillery. It's a great team that works there. Or Jade is our head distiller. Brilliant guy doing a fantastic job and uh, really proud and really excited to be a part of that team. Uh, so. Well, Thank you again for coming on. I uh, appreciate the kind words about our show. Please check out uh, Ben's shows. I, I watch about 5 to 15 minutes of My Whiskey Den almost every week. I usually try to chime in your comment section just to let you know I'm there. Sometimes yep. I do, sometimes See I don't. See you in there. Um, but I really enjoy that show, um, and I really appreciate you coming on. And Again, thank you for the kind words. Um, this is at Whiskey Congress on Instagram and Twitter, and we're done.